Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, I want to welcome those of you worshiping online with us this morning, wherever you are. And to all of us, I want to say that I sure hope the lights don't go out. And um, for those of you who weren't here, we had a power outage in our 11 o'clock service last week. And I want you to know that a team of us met for about an hour and a half and we debriefed that situation. We uh, debriefed our response to that situation. And uh, we've made some adjustments. And I want you to feel confident in knowing that we, we had a plan in place and we've adjusted that plan to uh, just respond a little more qu- uh, quickly than we did. So I want you to just know about that. I want to as well draw your attention to uh, announcement in your bulletin. And what I want you to know about is some small but very important changes that we are going to be making in our evening worship services. You see, there's a value that has been just growing in us as a church more strongly, and that value is to uh, mix generations, to gather in times and places where uh, young and old are together. And um, we, we just feel that sense We want to do more of that. You see, as a church, we have men's ministry and women's and singles and children's and Maranatha and uh, young adults, and we we at times intentionally do plan and and, uh, separate all of us into different areas, and that's important, and there's great things accomplished in those venues, but we want to cross generations more. We want to become a bit more intergenerational, and so what we want to do is in our evening services, Uh, For the first 15 minutes or so, we're going to include our children in our worship service with us. Uh, And then uh, kindergarten and older, we will include. And then they'll be dismissed, like 15 minutes or so, into our worship service and go out for age-appropriate teaching with passionate leaders that want to teach children and will remain in our worship center together. Because when do our children get to see us as adults and parents uh, have communion and just be in awe and prayer and reverence and worship to Jesus by observing these elements, taking the meal we just did? When do our children see us as adults being baptized and hear life-changed stories about how God has worked in the life of an adult and brought them to the place of baptism? And and when do our children see us as adults, and maybe you don't have children, but uh, as a church, there are children, you know, worship God with arms raised and just in adoration of Jesus. And so in our evening services, we want to include children. And our Sunday morning services will stay as they are. Our children's ministry will continue as they are. So um, it's an opportunity for you as a family to discern if you want to, you know, include your children, worship with them on an evening service or stay here in our Sunday morning service. So we want you to just be aware of that change taking place in about a month or so. Yesterday we had our stampede breakfast and it was a great time. And uh, a little over 2,500 people were here, and, uh, and, and two people prayed and surrendered their lives, committed their lives to Jesus yesterday morning here. So, yeah. So, um, it's just it's great. And many people came and were prayed for, and there were great conversations around the tables about faith and church and, and their spiritual life. And, And uh, Paul Brandt was here and shared his testimony about why he loves Jesus and why he's a Christian. And so it was a great time and great fun. And I want to thank the almost 200 volunteers that helped serve at this event. It was so well run and and everybody just enjoyed themselves. So just thank you for that. 
God, God is at work all the time, all the time. He's up to something good in our lives. And in 1975, he was at work in my parents' lives. My dad and my mom felt uh, directed and moved by God to move from, from Canada to Cameroon to be missionaries in West Africa. And they did that, and they left uh, all of their large possessions, and my dad had just bought this nice car that he still kind of moans about that he had to sell in moving, and, and they left all of their large possessions and left family and friends and, and good relationships and their home to move and to really be obedient to what God was calling them to do, right? Telling them to do, and they, they responded that way. But I think, I don't know if this is still the case, but I, I think there was a time when Christians thought that you know what, missionaries were really the important people that God was using and could use to accomplish his agenda, his purpose here on earth. And, and those were missionaries, people who would leave and travel a long distance at great sacrifice. And, and you know what, they were kind of the elite special forces that God was using to, to expand his kingdom. And, and maybe, you know, just below missionaries were church leaders and they were the people, you know, that God could use next as far as level of his importance goes. And, and then... I think the thinking was, you know, well, what about everybody else? Well, at that point, it just was maybe. You know, maybe God could use people to accomplish his purpose. Maybe they had a role to play in God's kingdom activity. And, and I just want you to know that that line of thinking is absolutely not true. Absolutely not true. The truth is that God gives assignments and tasks and gives direction and speaks to everyone who is a Christ follower and gives mission opportunities for everybody to be at work, and, and that's open to everybody who's a Christian, everyone who will adjust their life to God's agenda and to be used by him. And God is the one who will use every person, no matter your age or your, your nationality or gender, God will use you. And a friend of mine just told me a story of his daughter, who's five years old, who just felt, for whatever reason, she went up and she prayed for this person who was sick, and this person was healed. A five-year-old used by God. And God is the one who will say to each of us, you know what, you stewarded your life well. You did the things I wanted you to do. You said the things I wanted you to say. You were obedient to me, well done. And just take a look briefly at the story of Abraham, who God said, I'm gonna move you from your one location, move your whole family and all of your possessions, everybody, I'm gonna take you to this land that I'm going to show you. I didn't show you yet, I will show you where. And through great cost and sacrifice and I imagine even anxiety and a high level of stress, but with great faith, he obeyed God and did what God asked him to do. And, and when we look through the whole Old Testament, we see God directing people what to do, where to go, where to stay, where to move to, what to say, build here, stay here, fight here, worship here. God directs people to accomplish his purpose on earth. And then we come to the scene of history where Jesus comes to earth from heaven. And this is what Jesus says about his own life and the way that he operated and the way that he conducted himself here on earth in ministry. Jesus says this about himself. I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. This is how Jesus operated. This is how he received direction. And the way he lived is a template, a model for us. 
And Jesus in here affirms that God gives direction. He gives assignment. He gives tasks. He has good works, which he wants for us to accomplish. He gives direction to everybody who's a Christian. But if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, really, sometimes we might think, is this really true? Is this really true? And sometimes we do struggle with our sense of purpose, with our sense of identity, with our sin in our lives. And we might ask questions like, am I living the life really that God intended me to live? Am I really doing the thing that God wants me to do? Am I experiencing all that God has for me? Am I really loved by God? Is it really possible for me to hear God speak to me, nudge me, move me? And these questions come from deep within us as human beings because we feel a longing to be connected into God's dynamic plan of bringing people and the whole world back into a right relationship and a right standing with God. We long to be a part of that and and involved in that. But we wonder, is this working with God's stuff something that I can be a part of? And it's into all of these questions that Paul writes and speak these words to us. And he reminds us today, he reminds you sitting here in this room, in your seat, he reminds us this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And Paul tells us here in one verse who we are, how we are being formed and changed, And he tells us why we are here. Who are you? Who are you? You are not a cosmic accident. You were not made by chance. In fact, you are the result of God's creative and intentional design. And how are you being created? How are you being made and changed? Well, you were made in Christ Jesus so that the power of his spirit is at work inside you, changing you, transforming you to be the kind of person that he wants you to be. And why were you made? Why? You were made to carry out God's kingdom activity on this world. You were made for a mission. And what I want us to do this morning is to walk through the magnificent implications of this verse for our lives today. So I want you to read with me in loud voice. All of us read together this verse once again. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. First of all, you are uniquely designed by God, not by yourself. You are not here by accident or by chance. You're not here because of some evolutionary process. You are not even here because of natural human planning. This verse declares the truth that God is the creative genius behind your existence, and he is the one directing and orchestrating your life. He is the one through his foreknowledge about you, brought you into being and formed your personality, formed your temperament, formed your intelligence, formed your DNA, and even your physical stature. And Paul affirms that you are God's workmanship. And the word workmanship literally means a thing of his making. A thing of his making. He is your architect. He is your builder. And he is here precisely because he wants you to be here. And just as a master builder finds joy and pleasure in his creation, in much the same way God finds joy and pleasure in you 
his creation. How do you feel about the way that God has made you? How do you feel about the way that God made you? And that might be an awkward question to think about because maybe we don't like thinking about ourselves. But it's a good question to reflect on. In your quiet time of prayer or your Bible reading, just prayerfully ask God, God, show me how you feel about me. Show me how you feel about the way that you made me. And I'm guessing here, but I think I'm making a pretty good assumption that I think King David was thinking about some of these same questions. When God inspired him to write Psalm 139, and then these verses that we'll read here, it's obvious that David is in awe and wonder and adoration about how God made him. So I want us to read these verses here. Psalm 139, read it together with me. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came into being. You are who God made you to be. You're the result of his fashioning and design. And the thing is that we can, though, be tempted on one hand to think more highly of ourselves than we should, than we ought to. We can become proud and ego-driven and boast about who we are. We can think more highly of ourselves and, and compare ourselves with others and actually become demeaning and rude at times, sometimes even posturing ourselves over others and critical of others, and we're, we're tempted with our self-centeredness and our pride, and, and we think sometimes like this because, because we think that we're self-made people, that we are responsible for making ourselves, that we're here because, because of our parents and, and we're, we're, we're self-made we think maybe that all we've done and all we said is a result of our own human effort and our own human planning and we're a product of our own designing, of our own making. And, and this is not the right way to think about ourselves. Now, on the other hand, sometimes we can think less of ourselves than we should. We can be critical of ourselves. We can put ourselves down. We can think harshly about ourselves. We can believe lies about ourselves. We can be shameful. We can think maybe that we're a mistake, that we're an accident, that we just are here by chance. We can think sometimes that maybe we aren't of much value or worth, or maybe that we don't have much to contribute in this life. And this is not a right way to think about ourselves either. Because when we think about this way, we're being critical about what God made and what God did. And we're actually even being self-centered and self-focused and making it all about us and even a sense we're prideful, even when we think lower of ourselves than we should. My grandma has a huge garden in her backyard, and she lives in Kelowna. And I uh, love to eat the stuff that comes from her garden. And she has a very unique apple tree in her backyard. It is one of a kind, one of a kind. 
And my grandpa, while he was still alive, he went and chose this tree from a nursery and brought it home and with great care and great attention planted this tree in the perfect spot. He loved this tree. And he built some supports around this tree so it would grow well. And what's unique about this tree is that it has five different kinds of apples growing from one tree. Five different kinds of apples. It has Spartan apples, Gala apples, Golden Delicious apples, Red Delicious, and Gala. Did I say Gala twice? Red Delicious, Gala, Granny Smith. That's the other kind of apple that it has growing from it. It is a beautifully designed tree, one of a kind. And there is just one of you. One of you. In the eight billion people approximately that live on this earth, there's one of you and God made you and fashioned you and he sets his affection on you and he looks upon you with fondness and he loves to be with you and communicate with you and his thoughts linger on you and in fact, he's been thinking about you before you were even born. And he is kind and he's gracious towards you because you are a person of his own making. And maybe as I've been talking about how God has formed you and shaped you and made you, maybe you've become aware that you've been resisting him and his work and his influence in your life in some way. Maybe you haven't been obedient to him and bring honoring to him the way you've been acting. Maybe you've not been exhibiting the kind of character and the values that bring him honor. Maybe you've been even resentful about the way that he's made you. Resentful and bitter about that. Maybe, on the other hand, you've been caring about yourself an air of pride and superiority, thinking that you are the king and the ruler of your own life. I want to just encourage you to confess. Confess your wrong thinking, your wrong acting to him. Because here's the thing, if there's sin in your life, if you're not right with God, your sin or your pride or whatever it is can get in the way of him using you to accomplish these good works that he has prepared for you to do. So confess, just receive God's forgiveness and stand then, stand with humility, but with confidence as well. Not thinking more highly of yourself, not thinking more lowly of of yourself, but standing with confidence and humility as a son or daughter of God. You were designed by him to carry out his agenda, his will on this earth. But not only are you designed by God, but You were made to live in Jesus and grow up in Jesus. In Ephesians 2, 10, Paul describes the mysterious dynamic of Jesus initiating spiritual change that takes place in the deepest parts of our lives, in our heart, soul, and mind. For we are God's workmanship, created in Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul says we're created in Jesus. But what does he really mean by this? What is he trying to say to us here? Ephesians 2 begins with these words. Remember, Paul is writing to the Christians in this city of Ephesus, and you can even go right now to Turkey and visit these ruins in this city. Paul's writing to these Christians, and in verse 1, chapter 2, he says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. 
The truth is this verse applies to all of humankind, all people who do not know Jesus as their savior. Paul says you were dead in your sin before you surrendered and committed your life to Jesus, meaning you had no spiritual life. In fact, your life was run by your own evil and sinful desires and values and actions and thoughts. And your experience of life was actually in direct opposition to what God had intended for you. But Paul goes on to say in verse four and five, and this is amazing, here's the gospel, here's the good news in verse four and five. But because of his great love for us, God who was rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And then verse eight and nine, let's read these verses together. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Do you see what Paul is saying here? Look at this. He's saying you were dead in your sin. Catch that word in. You were dead in your sin. You had no life with God, no spiritual vitality, no connection with God, no purpose and hope for the future. But now you are alive, created in Christ Jesus. Sin brings death. Jesus brings life. And all this happens by God's grace towards us. We are not living in the land of the dead anymore. We're not living in a cemetery and these symbols of the bread and the cup that we just held in our hands moments ago remind us of the grace shown us by God in Jesus Christ. If we surrender our lives to Jesus as our Lord, as our King, as our ruler, if we surrender our lives to Jesus, our sins are forgiven and our life becomes actually defined by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, he gives us right now in real time, spiritual life. We're made spiritually alive and we know that one day when we do die a physical death, through some way our lives are gonna be resurrected and we will be with Jesus in heaven for eternity. We were sin dead, now we are resurrection alive, all because of what Jesus has done. And we are created in Christ Jesus to a new living, new life, new existence really. Think of my grandma's apple tree again. Four branches through intentional process were grafted into the trunk of this tree that was already existing. If these branches had just been left lying around, they would not be alive, but they were grafted by intentionality, by purpose, implanted into the trunk of this tree. And because of that, they're, collect they're connected to this life source they're connected to nourishment and all they have, all they need to grow and flourish and produce fruit is right there made available through this trunk in this tree and they're grafted, they're connected in to this tree. It's precisely the same about our relationship with God that God makes possible that we are grafted into the life force source of Jesus Christ and the power of his life is flowing through us by his Holy Spirit. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. The apostle Paul uses the phrase in Christ more than 160 times in his letters in the New Testament, and he actually only quotes Jesus' words three times. 
For Paul, the most amazing thing about Jesus is not that Jesus was an amazing teacher, even though he was. What's amazing to Paul is that Jesus lives in us by the Holy Spirit, and we are created in Christ to live in him, and he lives in us, and we're at union. We're united, connected with him. And that enables us to live a kingdom life. There's a story told about a little girl And she has the flu, and she's going with her mom to see the doctor. And this doctor is great with kids. He just knows how to interact with kids and makes them feel, you know, at home and comfortable in the doctor's office, and and he jokes around with them. So the mother and the daughter go into the doctor's room, and the little girl sits on the little, you know, bed there, and the doctor's joking and teasing. And then he looks in her ear, and she says, I wonder if I'm going to see Dora in your ear. And the little girl goes, nope. And then he looks in her mouth and says, I wonder if I'm going to see the cookie monster in here. She says, nope. Then the doctor takes a stethoscope, right, and puts it on her chest to hear her heart beating. And he says, I wonder if I'm going to hear Barney in here. And she says, no, Jesus is in my heart. Barney's on my socks. (laughs) And it's through this deep connection with Jesus living inside of us in our heart, mind, and soul that Jesus is at work shaping us and growing us and changing us and leading us and guiding us and moving us in this world. Jesus is committed to your growth. He knows exactly what you need to change in your life, what areas need attention, and so has Jesus brought anything to your mind as we've been talking here, that you need to pay attention to an area of your life, a habit, or some way you react, an emotional response that Jesus is saying, you know what, I want to help you with this. This needs to change in your life. See, God knows about your strengths and your weaknesses because he made you that way. He knows about that. He knows about the spiritual gifts that he's planted in you by his Holy Spirit. And are you aware of your spiritual gifts and how God wants to use you? And are you making yourself available for him to use you? He knows the person that he wants you to disciple, to pour your life into. And he knows the person that that he wants to mentor you. Is there someone in your life that you feel Jesus is calling you to pay attention to? Invest your life into this person. Disciple them. Is there someone that you feel God is saying, you know what, ask this person to come alongside you a little bit, show you some things, teach you some things. Jesus knows what you need to grow to become more like him. And his desire is for your life to be an exhilarating experience in relationship with him that's unique to you and him, not like other people's relationship with Jesus, with him at all, but never dull, never routine, a friendship. For you are God's workmanship, uniquely designed by God according to his specifications. And it's Jesus who's living in you and you're living with him and the dynamic power of his Holy Spirit is available to you, enabling you and empowering you. And all of this is happening so that you can accomplish the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. Do you know what the good works are that God wants you to be about in your life? Do you know what they are? I find it so interesting in this verse, in one verse here, just three short phrases that that Paul uses the word work twice. The first in reference to 
We are God's workmanship, that God is at work in us. He's at work shaping us. God is at work making us. And then by God's grace and Jesus' work on the cross and his death and resurrection, now we are made into new people and Jesus is at work in us. And now we are the ones that are enabled and empowered to work for good works. And works that are not on our own agenda and on our own planning and on our own dreams, but work that is aligned with him and his purpose in this world. You were made for a mission. You were made for a mission. And this mission is directly aligned with God's agenda in this world. God specifically designed you and empowered you in the same spirit that spoke the universe into place and calmed the storms and raised the dead is empowering us to accomplish what God wants us to you. And when you live like this, when you live with this mindset, when you live with this intentionality, you step into an adventure you actually begin to operate in a supernatural realm because you're actually expecting and anticipating God to speak to you and guide you and direct you, give you assignments and tasks. Every human being, every human being who's ever walked on the place of this, face of this planet will reflect on or even sometimes be haunted by questions like, who am I? Where do I find my sense of identity, my source of identity? Who am I? My sense of significance and purpose. Or, or maybe you've asked this question, why am I even here? Why am I even here? Or maybe may, people make statements like this, which hints at this underlying question. They make statements like, there has to be more to life than this, than I'm experiencing. According to the Chicago Tribune, almost 50 years ago, Hugh Moorhead sent a copy of his book, uh, Modern Man in Search of a Soul, to the famous psychiatrist and father of psychology, Carl Jung. And Carl Jung was actually the author of this book, The Modern Man in Search of a Soul. And so Hugh Moorhead sent his copy to Carl Jung, asking him to autograph it and respond to this question, what is the meaning or purpose of life? And Carl Jung replied to Moorhead saying, I don't really know what the meaning or purpose of life is, but it looks exactly as if something were meant by life. Moorhead went on to ask 250 of the leading thinkers and authors, writers of the 20th century to respond to this same question, what is the meaning of life? And he wrote a book actually from his findings and the result, so many of these leading thinkers and authors not only did not know the answer to this question, but even thought that there was no answer to this question. What is the meaning or purpose of life? But a number of them responded back and said, you know what, Moorhead, if you do find out the answer to this question, write me back because I would like to know. And is it any wonder that suicide is the second largest killer of teenagers in our society today? The number of teenage suicides has risen to an unprecedented rate in the history of the world. And this is what happens when we as human beings become disconnected with our source of identity that we are God's workmanship. Become disconnected from Jesus shaping and transforming us into the people that he wants us to be and disconnected from our sense of purpose that we're here to accomplish God's kingdom activity and partner with him 
in what he is doing in this world? How do you know the good works that God wants you to be about to do? Sometimes we know what these are very quickly and they're obvious, but sometimes we need to pray and seek God and ask him to show us what he wants us to do. And these could be big things, maybe large things that require a lot of energy and effort. And, but sometimes they're what we would consider maybe tiny things. And Jesus even says, if you give a glass of water to someone and do it in my name, you're participating with me. You know, maybe you are a friend to someone who needs a friend. Maybe you pray with someone. Sometimes we even think that these are small things. But I actually don't even know if God has a terminology of small and big and weighs these things out. I do know that all of these assignments from him are critical and necessary for what he wants to do in this world, whether we think large or small. They're critical. Sometimes you might even have this feeling or thought that won't go away from you and maybe you might call it a nagging feeling and, and I want you to pray about this and say, God, are you saying something to me in this feeling, this thought that won't go away from me? Show me clearly what you think I should do, Jesus, about this. For the past number of years, my wife and I have felt God leading us in a certain direction with our family and that we had this nagging feeling, this nagging thought and we were praying about this and thinking about this, talking about this often and saying, Jesus, what are you saying to us in all of this? We, we talked with some wise friends that we have in our lives, and we were reading books and reading the Bible and praying for God to show us direction, make this clear to us. And then one day, one day God brought a very specific Bible verse to my wife, and everything became clear. The primary way that God speaks to us his children is through the Bible, and the Bible is already there for us to read, and God instructs us and teaches us and gives us direction, and sometimes he'll give you a specific verse that's for you in your situation, what you're thinking and praying about. Sometimes God speaks to us through a trusted and wise friend. Sometimes he speaks through a thought or feeling that doesn't go away. Sometimes he speaks to you directly by his spirit in a whisper, in a quiet voice, in a prompting. But in all of the ways that God communicates to us, he will never ask you to do something that's contrary to what we read and can see in the Bible. Sometimes, though, there's a need right in front of us, a need, and God just awakens us to respond directly to that need. Jean Easley lived on the second floor of a Guatemalan apartment, and one day he noticed a young girl with an elderly woman walking by his apartment. And then a little bit later, they returned, and he noticed that this young girl was carrying a bunch of sticks on her head. And the reason that Jean noticed this young girl was because she was frail and kind of stumbling and not walking confidently and strong. He noticed her because of her physical condition, and the days passed as he saw this pair walking back and forth. Her condition worsened, and her arms and her legs were very thin. It was obvious that she was malnourished and, and not eating well, and she... She actually looked like she could almost collapse at any moment. And the sight of this girl made Jean wonder, why doesn't somebody do something about this? Why doesn't somebody do something about this? And then, after a few moments, he, he just felt like God turned the question on him and said, Jean, why don't you do something about this? Why don't you do something? 
And Gene reflects on this experience and he writes this. He says, this is the condition of much of the church world. We're sitting out looking out the nice windows of our churches, seeing the pitiful sights of a world in turmoil, and we're asking the question, why doesn't somebody do something? When God is trying to speak directly to us and motivate us and move us, he wants us to be active in the harvest field. No child of God was meant to be an onlooker. When God shows us the need, often we become responsible for that part of the harvest. And we have a phrase around here that we, we feel we're to be the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus on this earth. And so what are the good works that God has already prepared you to do? What are the dreams that he's given you? What are the needs in your neighborhood or in your world that you feel moved by God to respond to? What issues of justice cause you to stay awake at night and you can't sleep? And has God been speaking to you about something, but you've, you've kind of been pushing it to the side? Would you take some time and pray and reflect on what Jesus might be saying to you? In closing, I want to share two real-life stories of people from our church. And, and as I was thinking about which stories to tell, I, I had multiple stories in my mind of so many of you that are involved in doing what God wants you to do. But there was this lady that I spoke to about a month and a half ago. And she feels like her and her husband, this is the absolute right time for them to host an Alpha course in their home. And she had just been at the Alpha training that we had planned, and she said, Kent, I know all my neighbors. I've been building, building relationship with them. In fact, I've been inviting them into my home, and we've been having some sessions around tough questions about the Bible and about God. And now is the right time. And she says, I can cram about 25 or 30 people into my home. It'll be tight, but... But now is the time, and she said, I feel God is, wants us to do this now, to reach out to our neighbors. There's another young lady. It's part of our young adult ministry. Her name is Brooke. And for a long time, her heart has been moved by the, the state of children that are involved in, in, in taken captive in human trafficking around the world. And that just breaks her heart and it moved her to go on a mission trip to Costa Rica where she worked with, with children there that were or had been involved in, in human trafficking and, and in slavery. And she got to, through that fight against this injustice, and take action. And, and she came back here to Calgary. And still her heart is filled with compassion for that taking place in our world. But God was doing something else in her heart and moving her to have compassion for women in the city of Calgary that sell themselves on the street as prostitutes. And she felt so moved to do something and, and felt directed by God to do this. She invited a few friends and they started just going out on the street from 10 o'clock at night till 3 o'clock in the morning, walking the streets and just praying, God, who do you want us to talk to here? Who do you want us to pray for? Who do you want us to engage in conversation? Who do you want us to feed or give something to to drink? They did this for a while, and then she invited more people to come along with her and did some training and educating and teaching of this group. And they're known as The Walk. That's the group. Their name is the, called The Walk. And they do this even, even today. Just a few days ago, they went out on the streets, prayerfully looking who God is directing them to talk to. And then a group a little while ago from Edmonton heard that Brooke was doing this with this team, and they came down and 
they did, Brooke did some training for this team up in Edmonton, and so now there's the walk happening in Edmonton. And God has just been leading her, and really, she's just been responding to what God is doing in her life. She'll say, it's not me, it's God directing and leading me, and I'm just being obedient. How about you? Has God been speaking to you about how he has made you? That you are his unique design and you're loved by him. Has God been speaking to you about some ways that, that Jesus wants to continue to be at work in your life, shaping you and transforming you? Has God brought something to your mind and your heart that, that you might think, you know what, I think Jesus might be wanting me to do this. I want to close in prayer for us and like we always do, if you would like to pray about anything that we've mentioned, anything in this worship service, come forward. I'd love to pray with you and our prayer partners. Maybe there's something else going on in your life that you want prayer for. We want to pray for you, being a praying church. But let's, let's pray together now. Jesus, your words to us through Paul in Ephesians are an encouragement to us today. Thank you for how you have made us, God. And we find great comfort and joy knowing that we are here because you have designed and fashioned us and orchestrated us to be here at this moment, at this time in history. God, we praise you. Jesus, continue your good work in us, shaping us, transforming us to become more like you so we can reflect you to the people that we meet and then we come in contact. Work in us, transform our lives by your spirit and empower us to do the things and to say the things that you want us to do. God, if there's anybody here that needs clarity, needs answers, I pray that you would give wisdom and clarity in abundance and give direction in abundance. Father, we want to be a church that is active and moving, directed by you, not stepping ahead of you or behind you, but along with you, participating in what you want us to do in the city of Calgary and in our neighborhoods Move us, equip us. Help us to be your hands and your feet and your mouth, Jesus. May the Lord bless you now and be gracious to you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace and give you strength and comfort. And may you be led by God's spirit in such a clear way in everything that you do and in everything that you say, may you bring glory and honor to God our Father. And in Jesus' name, we pray all of this. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.